Raised the Jolly Roger with a slick double play. And oh, what a stop, Hayes! There's one! Oh, zip, zap, kazoo! The Buckos just turned two! Ground ball, left side, picked. Oh, Castillo, a pretty play on the first, and a double play! In between hop, and now throwing toward third base, a pick by Hayes! Oh, my goodness, what a play! Key Brian Hayes and Michael Chavis turn it into a double play! Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the 412 Double Play Podcast. I am your host, Michael Castrogano. With me, my right-hand man and co-host, Ed Wassel, fresh off his video podcast debut last week. Back to talk baseball with me again. Ed, how are you doing today? Not too bad. Had a decent weekend. Uh, weather wasn't great, but it's always nice to have some time off of work. Yeah, with it getting kind of like the festive season with the getting cooler we were hoping to go to the pumpkin patch yesterday but then it rained the whole day so that kind of cut the option short so hopefully next weekend uh trying to find things to do with all this free time because i'm not covering as much with pirates baseball writing recaps or following box scores and stuff like that it's uh it's a different atmosphere and i'm watching a little bit of the playoff baseball have you been watching much of the games I caught a little bit of the uh, Grapes Philly series, but that's about it. Yeah, I was able to watch a little bit of that, a little bit of the, uh, this past week at least, the Twins-Astros series. Um, Twins looked overmatched in that. But so a couple surprises, you know, Rangers, Diamondbacks. I mean, Rangers are very good, but Diamondbacks sweeping the Dodgers was Maybe not surprised because Dodgers always do bad in October. But um, the fact that we had um, several teams that were top seeds get eliminated. Uh, and that's actually going to be our first topic for today. Is the current playoff format bad? With both the 100-plus win Dodgers and Orioles getting swept in their divisional series matchups and the Braves lasting only a game longer in their own series, does this new format provide higher-seeded teams with a disadvantage, given that they only sit for an extra, not even a week? It's not much different than the All-Star break as far as how much time they're down. And it, the rest is intended to help them and get them geared up so that their best pitcher is able to go. Honestly, I, I just think that those teams weren't in the best positions, mostly pitching. Uh, I mean, let me know if you disagree on that, Ed. Uh, like, what do you mean by not in the best position pitching? So the Dodgers, they had a lot of health issues with their pitching and non-health related issues. Julio Urias. <clears throat> um, so that they had Kershaw. They had Bobby Miller, who is a rookie. They, uh, I don't know, who was it, even their other starter? 
on that series. No <laughs> I mean, they didn't. Bueller was out for the year. Um, obviously, Urias missed most of the season, and even before he was uh, there, he he wasn't doing very well. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman both underperformed, but you know, three game series, you know, anybody can go have a, a, a slump. The Orioles, I've been saying, even heading into the playoffs, I wanted them to have a long run. I was hoping they'd make it to the World Series, especially after Brooks Robinson's passing away right at the end there. But their pitching rotation is just too green. It's a it's a lot of young arms that kind of need to develop. It's their first time making playoffs since 2015, 2016, something like that. Yeah, their I don't whole know, team but, is like young and inexperienced, basically. So. So I think they just weren't ready for that moment. And then the Braves, I mean, the Braves just kind of screwed up left and right. Like game two, that was an exciting finish with the, what was it, like 8-5-3 double play to end the game. Something. So like that, let's yeah. go ahead and pivot to that. But the, the uh, not funny, but an interesting news story following that win for the Braves in game two of the NLDS where Bryce Harper was the final out at first base in the clubhouse surrounded by journalists, cameras, recorders, Orlando Arcia makes comments saying at boy Harper reportedly said it multiple times. I saw at least one reporter say that they reminded Arcia of the situation that being of multiple people in the room recording and reporting the situation. And he allegedly was unmoved. However, afterwards he was saying that Harper wasn't supposed to hear it and that and this and that, the uh, clubhouse should be a safe place or sanctuary. I mean, this all led to a big online debate as to merits of reporting offhand comments in the clubhouse. So I want to get your thoughts on this before I ring in on this situation. Okay, I'm kind of split 50-50 on it. Half is if you don't want someone to hear what you have to say, then probably don't say it. But also, I think unless he was talking directly to a reporter, it shouldn't just be background noise that's getting reported necessarily. But then you bring up the, so that a different reporter had warned him and he said he doesn't care. So that, that's on him at that point. It's just such an unnecessary gaffe especially because the Braves were losing early in the game, had to come back. And then after that game had to head to Philly with the series tied. So they didn't have the home field advantage anymore. You, you, you shouldn't be cocky. There should be no point until, you know, the final out of the world series. You, then you can be cocky. Then you've got the ring. Um, there was also some issues with Arcia in game five when they were, down i think it was pretty it was like the sixth or seventh inning they were losing it was the elimination game for them and he was mocking the fans so i feel like he's gonna get booed really hard when he comes back to uh when the braves come back to philly next season so uh for my thoughts on this obviously we're not credentialed would be incredible if it ever happened but neither of us are in a position where that really benefits us but we do have friends who are in that position who take pride in their writing if they get a soundbite from a player that is interesting it's fair game typically 
when they're covering pirates players, they're directly interviewing them, directly talking to them and writing about their story, whether it's a personal professional uh, fun thing that they've been doing. Like when uh, Mark Melanson back in the day used to travel to Africa and wrestle lions or whatever he did. And, you know, blog people would be interviewing him and writing about that stuff. What happened last week and the resulting public outburst from a certain MLB network reporter was really unprofessional, kind of un- appalling. They did publicly apologize and apparently had apologized to the writer who quoted Arcia in their story, but it, it was just a weird situation. I think that these guys are coached. They are, they're trained to know you, you have to be professional whenever there's a camera, whenever there's a microphone, whenever you're in a position where you could make the team look foolish. Which is always, everyone has a camera and a microphone. It's, it's always, unless you're inside in your house, you know, two in the morning, you know, don't, don't say stupid stuff because the Phillies players made shirts very quickly mocking Arcia. I mean, Harper went and hit two home runs in game three, stared at Arcia as he rounded second base both times. And I was like, I'm not a Harper fan, but good. I mean, if if you're a fan of old school baseball and if your guy gets hit, you hit the other guy, staring down a guy who was trash talking you because you got doubled off on a really well played like that catch by Harper or by Harris in center field in game two. It, I think it was Castellanos who hit it. If Castellanos put a little bit more on it, the Phillies take the lead. It was a few feet in front of the uh, fence. Harper was trying to make sure that he was going to be in position to score. He went a little bit too far past second base and uh, I don't think he tripped, but he, he didn't get back as quickly to first as he would have liked obviously but it's just a weird situation and once again not not a harper fan not like a phillies fan even though proximity very close to philadelphia i'm glad that things went downhill for the braves after that and we got to talk to our buddy jake from the bridge of october podcast to see what uh, which player his wife uh, which player's jersey his wife will be wearing for opening day next year to the pirates really excited for that All right, well, let's shift gears here to the Arizona Fall League. We haven't had the opportunity to talk much about it, but Arizona Fall League is underway. A number of interesting names for the Pirates are playing for the Salt River Rafters. We're going to specifically talk about 2023 breakout prospect Jace Bowen. As of this recording, has a 372, 438, 605 triple slash, six extra base hits, over 43 at-bats. We do have a couple other players of note playing in the league, but Bowen is definitely the top one to keep an eye on. He's Rule 5 eligible, made a very late season jump to Altoona after a strong season in Greensboro where he had 20-plus home runs, 20-plus stolen bases. Greensboro is a hitter's paradise, but the stolen bases and the fact that he plays everywhere is really impressive. I think he only got about eight games in Altoona. I'd have to go back and check on that. So... uh, Based on conversations we've had in the past, both on the air and off the air, what are your thoughts on Bowen's chances of being added to the 40-man? 
Well, he's definitely having the let – me, let me rephrase that. His timing is perfect to be doing this in the Arizona Fall League to make his case to get put on the 40, man. And honestly, with his versatility, I, I think he should be probably be added. I mean, I think there's plenty of teams out there that would take him in the Rule 5. So, personally, I, I add him. What do you think? It's tough. I, I think he's the type of player that gets potentially picked because he's got a good, you could use him as a bench bat. You could use him as a super utility player. He, uh, he's currently ranked 27th on the pirates, um, prospects per MLB pipeline. The types of players that get picked in the rule five draft and a lot of fans, myself included, make more than too much out of the rule five draft. But we lost Blake Sable to it last year, and I was really bummed about that. I'm glad that he didn't end up staying with the Reds, but I, I was bummed, not because I thought he would stick a catcher, because he's continued to kind of struggle there, but because I felt like the bat was legit. And he's done okay in the outfield as like a left fielder for the Giants. So that was frustrating. But Bowen has that flexibility, and Rule 5, it's either like a... a Swiss Army knife or a like high upside relief pitcher. Obviously, last year we took Jose Hernandez. He had just gotten to double A ball. It's Bowen, I think, needs seasoning. I think if he did, if he wasn't protected and did get picked, he might not stick. But I don't feel that we need to take that risk, especially after losing so many minor leaguers last year. And they're not all of like strong consequence, but just overall, to get your system pillaged like that was a little bit frustrating, especially to people who followed a number of those guys. And I'm, I'm hoping that he gets added. I just think that there's more than enough people who they could cut to make space for someone like him. And we'll talk about Rule 5 Draft when we get closer to the date because that's over a month away. But, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he does get added. Moving on to our next topic, arbitration eligible players. Not yet on the horizon. We're also a little bit early on this, but something to keep in mind, especially with the upcoming non-tender deadline, which is much closer. Pirates currently only have six players listed for arbitration. We've got pitcher Ryan Barucki, first baseman slash utility player Miguel Andujar, starting pitchers Mitch Keller and JT Brubaker, relief pitcher David Bednar, and infielder slash outfielder Connor Joe. Only the Red Sox ended the season with less players scheduled for arbitration. Now, arbitration-eligible players are players who have three or more years of major league service, but less than six years of major league service, and they become eligible for this salary arbitration if they don't already have a contract for the next season. Before the call, Ed mentioned Harlan Garcia is technically listed as potentially arbitration-eligible. He also technically has a potential contract for next season. The Pirates will likely decline it and then waive him. But if they decided to, they could put him through arbitration. And I think his ARB number would probably be higher than the uh, projected salary. They also have players who have less than three, but more than two years of service time. That's the case with Connor Joe. He technically has 2.136 years of service. So he's technically a super two player. 
Last offseason, the Pirates tendered Andujar a contract fairly early on, locked him into a $1.525 million deal. He ended the 2023 season as the fourth highest paid player who was still on the team. So that's not counting Hedges and Santana. Hill. I guess I guess it counts Velasquez. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look at the numbers. Pretty sure it was like Hayes, Reynolds, Keller were paid more. So the projections that we have per MLB trade rumors, Ryan Barucki, I think this is, is this his first time going through it? Maybe it's his first time. I don't know. I'm not going to. Uh, 1.3 million. Miguel Andujar would be projected for 2.2 million. Mitch Keller, 6 million. JT Brubaker, 2.28 million. Bednar, 4.7 million. And Connor Joe at 2 million. So we have talked in the past about some players who may not even make it to this stage. So I guess let's let's go one by one on this. Ryan Barucki, boy, when when he got called up, I think pretty quickly I was uh, disqualifying him as part of the future for the Pirates, but he was really shut down this year. So I think one point three million for what he was able to provide, and Ed, you can jump in whenever if you think that <laughs> that's not the case, but Barucki. If that ends up being how much they pay him, that's pretty easy win, right? Oh yeah. If if that's what the the arbitrator or if you know he agrees to something relatively near that, that's I'm fine with that. Well, keep in mind the pirates do the I think they still do the file and trial or whatever it's called, where they file a number and if they don't agree, then they go to arbitration, essentially. They they don't I don't know why that's the case. I feel like that's a silly way to do things because you get to like the hearing. You're saying like they don't like necessarily negotiate. They just come up with their number. And if you don't like it, go to trial. Essentially. I think that they're usually good. The, they went to hearing with G-Man Choi this past spring and won. But they're not going. I mean, Andujar, we've talked about before. It's unlikely that they... He makes it past the non-tender deadline. Keller, they're not going to go to arbitration with him. I mean, I'll talk about him more in a second. But what about JT Brubaker? He's unlikely to pitch until maybe midseason next year. $2.28 million. Uh, You'd have to look up to tell me how much he was slated for this past year. That's probably pretty close to in line with what he made in 23. Let me see if I can find him quick, but like there was a recent situation and I'm blanking on his name because of course I am where the Brewers lost another pitcher to uh, what Tommy John surgery. Yes. <laughs> because of course. So, so and Bru- I, breaker was at 2.275 this year. 2.275 and they have him oh, slated for 2.28. Good. Um, yeah, so not really a a big raise or even a raise at all, I guess, here. Uh, let me see who I was thinking of here. Woodruff, Brandon Woodruff, right? He's the one who underwent surgery on Friday to repair the anterior capsule on his right shoulder and will miss all of next season. 
and that's unfortunate for the Brewers because it, at the very least, could have been a trade candidate. But he's entering his walk year, so it's much more unfortunate for Woodruff because he's not getting to play up to get that big contract. Right. He's going to have to come back and kind of sign like a one-year prove-me deal. Potentially. So, but is is there a certain similar situation with JT Brubaker? I think he's got a couple more years of arbitration, but do the Pirates... Because even in 2022, he had a 4.69 ERA, led the team in strikeouts, but his whip, 1.47, that's not really what you want to see. Is there a chance that they do just waive him and, and try to re-sign him for a minor league deal? Yeah, because he's probably not going to pitch until like the All-Star break next year, right? It's going to be a while. I was thinking, so he had the surgery. I don't know if it was end of March or early April. It was around that time that they announced it. It was right near the end of spring training that he got hurt. Yeah, and then they were kind of trying to figure out. Yeah, they were trying to figure out whether or not he would need to have that surgery. And it's typically like a 12 to 18 month. So potentially... He could, I think it's closer to like 14, 16. I, I think that we'd be looking like midseason at the earliest. It's also possible that, like, you look at Max Kranick. Kranick didn't really come back. He had the surgery, I think it was May of last year, May of 2022. And he wasn't able to start pitching until September. So I, I don't think that what Brubaker is able to provide in 2024 is going to be anything comparable to what they would hope to get from him. Now, 2.28 million isn't a lot in the grand scheme of things, but the if that's something that can be, could be right. He's going to go on the 60 day as soon as the season starts. But until then he's holding one of those 40 man spots, one of those spots that could go to Jace Bowen or Shang-Chi Chang or, whoever they're looking to sign this off season. So Andujar, I think gets waived and then you see what happens. I think Brubaker, I, it's been something I've been thinking about since last week when we talked to Josh and Jake about it, potential non-tender options. Brubaker might be on the cusp there, which is unfortunate because he, he's a good dude, but it, at some point, you got to think about the financials and the realities of the situation. Is that like a deal that you can make prior to like cutting him? Could you like already have your deal set? Like, hey, we're going to sign you to this one-year minor league deal for this much. Or is that I think like that you could do like handshake anyway? deals. Yeah, you could. You could say like, okay, we're going to we right now need to take you off the forty man because of you know ABC. But we want to keep you in the system. We'll bring you back up. We're still going to have you rehabbing with us. I think a lot of times that's going to be the case. They didn't do that with Kranich, though. Kranich stayed on the 40-man the whole time. So Yeah, that was weird. But Kranich's younger and has more, like, runway. I mean, Brubaker... When did I see he's going to be a free agent? 20... 
26. Yeah, so first year of arbitration was this year. Yeah, he's got two more years of arbitration, I think. And then it'll be a, a free agent in 26. So we'll see on that. And then Connor Joe, I think this is his first time in arbitration because he's just been such a part-time player over the years. Two million, uh, what was he, 1.5 F4, something like that. As a bench bat, decent glove, especially if they go out and get Lamont Wade. There's your platoon at first base. Done. Yeah, I I think he's going to accept whatever they throw at him, basically. I think he's happy to be back, too. And he excelled. I think he really performed well above what any of us expected from him. So I, I'm whatever role he's able to play, I think you're hoping that it's going to be as a supporting role and not playing... 120 to 130 plus games a year as a starter if he gets in later on whatever but but there's definitely value that he can provide looking for a healthy snack that is high in protein and actually tastes good check out built bars and built puffs with new flavors dropping all the time these bars are packed with protein while tasting like chocolate bars from brownie batter to cookies and cream salted caramel and my favorite cookie dough chunk these are a delicious and protein packed meal alternative for every member of the family order on built.com and use code janelle 10 for 10 percent off that's j-e-n-e-l-l-e the number 10 for 10 percent off your next built order today so let's uh move to our next topic which is extension candidates this is a tough one so First, we're going to go through a list of players, and I'm going to discuss the merits of extending them, and I, I've got a couple of suggestions. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I do have suggestions for each of them. I wrote this a little bit ago. Um, and, and then we're going to talk through it. So the first one I'm going to go with, the most obvious, Mitch Keller. He's the most likely candidate we'll be discussing. He's already been vocal about wanting to work out a deal, be part of this group long-term. But finding the right number for both years and dollars could be interesting. So while he has been excellent over the past one and a half seasons, essentially, the first few years he was in the show were among the worst, if not the worst, in all of baseball. That led to a stint in the Bucks bullpen where he worked through some issues, added a sinker, came back a little bit reformed. Since May 31st, 2022, Keller has posted a 3.83 ERA. K through nine of 9.04, walk through nine of 2.86, and cemented himself as a solid starter for this rotation. His total career numbers are not yet reflective of that transition. 4.71 ERA over his 102 games, 100 of them being starts, 523.2 innings pitched, 521 strikeouts, 198 walks, with a total ERA plus of 91. FIP 3.99, WHIP of 1.449. So it's whether the Pirates believe the new Mitch is legit. He did have some blowups post All-Star game. Can they ignore the long stint prior to this past run where he went 8-22 and with a 6.03 ERA? 
Now we know he's going to be uh, 27 come the start of the season. He turns 28 on April 4th, has two more years of arbitration. As we mentioned already, best guess puts him in the six years. This is my projection. Six years, 63.5 million range. It'd make him easily the highest paid Pirates pitcher of all time. The highest right now is Francisco Liriano, who got three years, 39 million in 2014. He was more established at that point, had more success. So the, Average annual value is obviously higher. Ed, what are your thoughts on this? I like those numbers you just threw out. We say six for 63. Yep. Yeah, I think that falls right in line with what I kind of would have put him around about 10 million a year. <clears throat> I'm not too concerned with the early struggles because you see that a lot when young pitchers come up. I mean, I don't know if you can name more than a handful of guys that have just been dominant from the time that they came to the majors. Yeah, not for every Spencer Strider, there's 11 or 12 guys who are Keller-like. Keller was to the extreme. Like I said, there was that uh, period of time where he his numbers were the worst in all of baseball. There's a graphic on, I don't remember if it was on AT&T Sports or if it was someone else, some other broadcast on like ESPN, but they put up his numbers and they were like last, last, last since his debut. They were all just league worst. But he was also coming up in like the midst of a regime change. So that's, that's gotta be tough too. You know, you came up in 2019. Yeah. Also the advanced stats showed that he was getting very unlucky. His, his, uh, BABIP over that span was like 376 when you the average is 300. So I was like, okay, that's clearly not sustainable. But um, yeah, so I, we'll see. I was thinking it would be like six. Let me look at my notes on this. Should have had that out and ready. Yeah, I was thinking like six years for the first one, and then uh, 9, 10, 11.5, 12.5, 14.5, with a signing bonus of $1.5 million. So it would technically be like $65 million. Are there any options at the, the back end of that? I don't know. Maybe. Sure. Why not? <laughs> it'd be like a club option with a, a $5 million buyout or something. I Terrible at this. Can we just reiterate how bad we are at predicting all this stuff? Oh, we're really I see, bad. I see a lot of those blogs are saying like, oh, yeah, this is a guy the Pirates should pursue. And I'm like, him? Maybe? I, who knows? Because, like, Vince Velasquez wasn't on our radar last year, so maybe they do that. We talked endlessly about Reynolds needs an extension. Reynolds needs an extension. We figured he'd probably get the richest contract in Pirates history, but you just never know. I think they're kind of trending in that direction. But Keller's just not as established and doesn't have that track record that Reynolds has, despite debuting around the same time. Reynolds has just had more hot seasons than Keller. So six years, total of 65 you know, maybe options. I don't know. It would bring him to age, what I say, 33, 33, 34, something like that. So not bad. Moving on. Number two, O'Neill Cruz. 
prior to 2023 season, Cruz was the top pick among fans to get a contract extension. Well, Reynolds. Number two is Cruz. Reynolds already got his contract now. Devastating injury in April ended a season prematurely, but we know the talent is there and perhaps he might be more inclined for guaranteed money, giving his experience on how quickly things can change. With his limited track record, something in the seven years, 50 million range might be tenable for both sides. I'm not looking for an Aussie Albies type deal. It would be less than Hayes got, but it would buy out his pre-arb and arbitration seasons. And I think buy out two of his free agent years. So with two more years of pre-arb rate, he likely won't top 1 million until 2026 season. It would guarantee him a set cost through the rest of the decade, make sure that he gets paid. It's kind of like a Jose Tabata type deal in my mind, because not too much of a track record, but lots of potential. I don't like that comp. As I said it, I really don't like that comp. <laughs> or Polanco. Really, it's like it's kind of more like a Polanco comp. It's not a good comp either. Yep. I know. <laughs> you need to stop. Look at them thinking. I know, but, but those are the comps. Well, I was saying, like, I want something like Ozzy Albies, but he got horribly underpaid. So I'm not, I'm not expecting that kind of deal. But uh, what are your thoughts on on Cruz and expectations on what he might get? What was that number you just threw out? Uh, seven years, fifty million. Seven years, fifty million. Okay, so that would buy out this pre-arb arb, and I believe, like you said, two years of free agency essentially and that still would put him at what like 30 years old when he becomes a free agent um i'll have to look into that hang on I don't, off the top of my head know how old he is uh says he's 24 now so okay could be yes yeah, so it'd be 31 32 yeah, oh i have he's 25 oh yeah he could have turned 25 after this uh, salary. Oh, yeah. He, thing that I have. he just turned 25 last month. So, yep, okay. go on. So, like you mentioned with, you know, being on top of the world and then having a really kind of freak injury happen to him, bring him back down, it can definitely make him, you know, think about taking that guaranteed money. And... If they held on to him through his arbitration years, he's not going to make anywhere near that $50 million. At least I don't think he would. So it, uh, Probably not. I mean, unless he really wanted to hold out and you know put up two more ridiculous years and then try to sign a bigger contract, I think it'd be smart for him to sign this from the outside looking in. And I don't know how much he wants. Like, I don't know if he wants it as much as Keller wants it. Because Cruz mostly came up in the organization. But he's... I don't Just because Keller's been very vocal about it. Cruz came into the season saying, like, hey, I want to hit 40 home runs. And I was like, I want him to hit 40 home runs. Right. If they There's can lock him down to a team... Won- that want to be here. Like Reynolds had stated, Hey, I want to, I like playing here. I want to stay here long-term. You mentioned Keller. Uh, obviously Bednar wants to be here probably his entire life. So I'm sure 
<laughs> Someone's yeah, jumping the gun, but go ahead. Not knowing necessarily what what they feel about the organization. So, yeah, we'll see. But uh, because you mentioned him, we'll go ahead to our next one, David Bednar. So closers and relief pitchers in general are among the most volatile in the sport, making them extremely unlikely for contract extensions. I was looking through a couple who have been. The Mets locked Edwin Diaz up for a nine-figure deal last offseason, and then he promptly suffered a season-ending injury in the World Baseball Classic. The next biggest contract by total value is Braves closer uh, Rafael Iglesias, who is entering year three of a four-year $58 million deal. By actual annual value, Liam Hendricks of the White Sox averages $18 million per season entering the final year of his three years $54 million deal. There are currently 11 active contracts with an AAV of $10 million or more. Bednar has been basically more dominant than any of those guys currently. I'm sure Josh Hader this offseason will be joining that group. But Bednar, he had a 2.0 ERA, NL best, tied for NL best, 39 saves on the season, didn't allow an unintentional walk through his first 29 appearances, 28 total innings. His first three years in Pittsburgh have been excellent. Two all-star games and uh, I think 60, something like that, close to 60 uh, saves. I don't have it written down. I'm good at this. So what would an extension look like for the reliever who is not slated for free agency until 2027? Perhaps a four-year deal? Buys out his arbitration years, added a free agent one. Given his $4.7 million expected from arbitration this season, I would think something along the lines of 6 to $7 million in AAV. Perhaps four years, $24 million with a $1.5 signing bonus. Well below his value on the open market, but he, as we mentioned, Loves it here. He's been great for the fan base. Shows up at every community event. He uh, was nominated for the team's Roberto Clemente Award this past season. Organization historically is not super inclined to sign extensions to relievers. Last time the Pirates threw 20-plus million at a closer. Well, it didn't go so well. We're not going to name his name. But Ed Bednar, someone who potentially should be thought of for this as much as i would love for them to extend them there's really no reason to said he's not a free agent until 2027 he's a reliever as good as he is it just he's already locked in for the next couple of years it basically would just buy out those years and then an extra free agent one just to be like we know you mean a lot to this organization right unless it's a you know, an extension of an olive branch where you're just trying to do something nice, which, you know, this is a business. So typically that doesn't happen. I I mean, from what we've heard, Bob Nutting has been more involved. He made sure that the Reynolds deal happened. He stepped in to make sure the Kutch deal happened. After Kutch reached out to him, maybe they are looking to build better communication and friendlier terms within the the player base, potentially the fan base. I don't know. We'll see. But they love Bednar. Yeah, he he brings more to the team than just his what he does on the field. Like you had mentioned, all the charity work he does. He's at every single event. 
he's dropping off turkeys around Thanksgiving. I'm sure he gives out presents on Christmas. And he just shows you how much he loves to be there. So. Yeah, so I don't... I'm not saying that, like I said, this is the third of four. So it's pretty unlikely that it happens. But not as unlikely as the next one. Which is Paul Skeens. So... Uh, speaking of things outside the Pirates' comfort zone, extending a pitcher who has thrown a whopping 6.2 innings of professional ball since being drafted this past summer. His signing bonus is a record for draft picks at $9.2 million, but his potential is off the charts. Locking him into a contract before spring training with the long shot potential of breaking camp with the team. So what would that look like? There's not really a template for this. While we've seen contracts signed for players before they debuted in recent years, none of them have been pitchers. The closest is Matt Moore of the Rays, who had 17 days of service time in 2011, which does not include his run in the playoffs that off well, that postseason, when he signed a five-year, $14 million deal. A deal with Skeens, while extremely unlikely, would be another record for the 2023 number one overall pick. Assuming they want to limit risk while satisfying both sides might be something more like a five-year deal. One to two options at the end. Controls all of his pre-free agency time. Allows him to focus on becoming the best pitcher he can be during that time. Dollars-wise, he's already a multimillionaire, as I mentioned. But that was just to get him in the door. I'm thinking it would be five years, $55 million, which should be a hefty, hefty, pay given the circumstances but we're just kind of reaching for the stars here and if he can post numbers close to what he had at LSU an 11 million AAV would be beyond a steal for him Ed your thoughts I agree with most of it but this is another one that just it wouldn't make sense because the five years is just covering his first five years of service time anyway so you're essentially it allows them to debut without them worrying about him like service time issues. It bypasses that. That's the only thing. Once again, yeah, but it, even if you like, debut him early, so very, you lose that year, you make him a super two, you're now only going to get five years out of him anyway. You know what I mean? I know they're, it's not going to happen. We're just seeing like right. we're just discussing if they were to say in this offseason skeins we want to lock you up to a contract of x dollars and x years what would that look like do you think that they would go longer years for the for it to make sense for the team it would have to go longer years it's like i said you're already going to have him for guaranteed five years whether you he's on the opening day roster next year or not so why would the team pay him that much more money when they're all going to get him for that amount of time for much less? The only way this makes sense to me is if you offered him, which you're not going to see, would be an eight or a nine-year deal. <laughs> yeah. Eight or nine would probably be like, what, 60, 70? I was thinking 70, 80. Yeah. Because at that point, then it has to make sense for him too. Yeah, we. I'll point out to the listeners: we have no inside intel. This is all just us throwing stuff at the wall and 
if it somehow ends up being right, then uh, you go ahead and call us for next year's World Series picks. <laughs> yeah, if he had already had like two or three years of service time, then the five for 55 would be more team essential, I guess I'll say. Sure. But at this point, like I said, that would make zero sense because you, you're already guaranteed to have him for those years. I, yeah, but that, that's the thing. If you're signing a pitcher for, because you know Yark's listening and how he feels about pitchers. Uh, if you're signing a pitcher for a deal long-term before he reaches the majors, which is a situation we're saying here, you're taking on a lot of risk for guys who, he hasn't been injured and didn't throw a ton of innings in college between Air Force and LSU, but you know, it, he gets comped to Strasburg. Strass has, what, like three arm and elbow sh- uh, surgeries? At least two. At least two. He's trying to retire. They won't let him. So it's it's tough. I'm not sure. So if if you're listening to this and you have a better idea of what kind of potential contracts extensions these guys should have i'll add a question on uh spotify you can go ahead and respond with what you think could be reasonable offers that would be accepted by keller cruz bednar and Skeens. if you want to even go that route but that wraps it up for all of us here at the 412 double play podcast thank you again for listening you can follow me on x at 412 double play follow ed at ed underscore wassell Continue listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else podcasts are found. Make sure to subscribe so you get notified when we drop new episodes. From all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us, and let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks.